today on the Starting Eleven podcast, we discuss Chelsea, who looked absolutely dreadful as they fell 2-0 to Arsenal. We talk United's winning streak under Solskjaer after a 2-1 victory over Brighton. And also on today's pod, we look at two separate seven-goal thrillers and talk about the most surprising hero of the weekend, Harry Winks. All this and more coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome to episode two of the Starting Eleven podcast, a brand new podcast breaking down the latest news from around the football world. I am your host, Justin Borrow, and with me today is Peter Robinson. Hey. And Chenge is gone. You know, before his untimely death, he was just known as John Kennedy. The F was added later to pay respects. Always, always with the jokes at the start. That's my thing. That's my thing. So I, so I apologize for the niche joke, but... If you know, you know. <laughs> I just want to say one thing because I just want to say that I'm loving the fact that we get to drink beer on this podcast. What do you mean we have to? No, I said that we get to drink beer oh, on this podcast. Oh, we get to. <laughs> what else would we do? I I don't know. I'm just saying that I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic feature of this job. Um, but let's jump right into that, Peter. What are we drinking today, buddy? Uh, so today we've got the Collective Arts State of Mind Session IPA. Uh, so Collective Arts, Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, again, about an hour and a bit away from Toronto. Um, yeah, great craft brewer. Craft brewer. Um, yeah. Tastes nice. It has a really good taste to it. It's like it's really crisp and and hoppy. It's very hoppy, but I I like it. It it makes you feel like you're drinking a beer, not like when you drink those those the domestic shit. You know what I mean? Like the the big name stuff. This to me is it's got a nice, nice it doesn't crisp it, taste to it. It's cloudy and it's good. It's better than the big name stuff because. This has flavor. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> not complaining. And the cans are like nice. It has like artwork on the front of the cans. And they have Banksy on one of the cans. <laughs> yeah. So the cool thing about the artwork on the cans, uh, the one can that I have, uh, the artist is actually actually based in Jerusalem. So they're not just using Canadian artists. They're using artists from all around the world, which is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's get started, boys. Um, so this weekend, uh, Match Week 23, uh, we're going to start off with Liverpool Palace. Never unclench. I was going to say that. Never <laughs> unclench. That seems to be an ongoing theme this weekend between a lot of the games. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, it was a wild back and forth match. I mean, Peter, last week you had mentioned that uh, if Zaha comes to play, Crystal comes to play. And he, he had a huge part in, in this game. I mean, look, Liverpool dominated the match. I mean, they had the majority of the possession. They had the majority of the touches on the ball. But Palace just would not go down without a fight. Yeah. And uh, a Salah does what Salah does, and he came up huge for for Liverpool. He really did. Um, the first half, I just I had I had a bad feeling as a Liverpool fan watching that first half because it was just you know it's like we can't find a way through. Within twenty minutes, we have had what couple of shots on target, if that, some good chances, but nothing to suggest that the breakthrough was coming. And then I was just. There was a moment before the goal, Andrus Townsend's fantastically taken goal, I have to say, uh, where we, you know, Crystal Palace got the ball kind of stuck under their feet, and then we kind of sense blood. We sent five players to push up the pitch, and then they got it free, and then they scored on the counter. So it was, it was just one of those, oh, here we go again. You know, that was the feeling. It was like, this is not going to be our day. We were about, we were overdue a, a game like this, for sure. But within 50 seconds, 
of the second half, we had leveled. And that's when I knew this Liverpool team does not give up. This t- When they came out in the second half, they played like they were pissed off. And I, I can only assume that's because Jurgen Klopp was pissed off, and rightfully so, from that first half display. And they played with a lot of fire. At, at 2-1... We kind of put took our th- you know our foot off the the throttle a little, a little bit. We kind of pulled back, played a little bit more reserved, and it cost us. You know, I mean, I have many things to say about Crystal Palace's corner tactics. I do think um, it was it was Jordan Jordan Ayew was holding two players during that corner, and then James Tompkins was able to get the header unchallenged. And you know what? That's part of the game. That's one of those things you can't ref can't really see. Ref can't really call for it. It's uh, what <laughs> what pub talk in London would call shithousery. It was a shithousery tactics. Just rough and tumble, sly, you know, getting away with it kind of tactics. But we pulled through. We won 4-2. Lost a man, lost James Milner towards the end. They got to 4-3 and then we just hung on. It was good. And I think that's what a team needs to be a, a championship winning team. Like to win the title you need to be able to, and I think Peter, you talked on this last week, was that you need to be able to grind out results. And that's what Liverpool did. And that's what they showed against Crystal Palace was that when the pressure came on, when, because let's be honest, the, the pressure was not on Palace. The pressure was on Liverpool. They needed to win. They needed to keep winning. And so when Palace, you know, had the lead there, Liverpool managed to to pull back. And, and when Palace kind of kept clawing at them, uh, Liverpool kept pushing, Liverpool kept finding a way through, and, and that's the difference between a team that finishes second or third or fourth and a team that finishes first and, and takes the title. And I think that's where we're seeing Liverpool really step up. I agree. I, I think it's 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 important to grind out results, but I don't think that's what this was against Palace. Palace have won three and lost one in the last four before this match coming to Anfield. They had a good record against us. They're our bogey team. So when they went one ahead, it was very much another case of, oh no, here we go again. We're going to lose this to Crystal Palace. It's, you know, whatever adjective you want to put here. And when you go 1-0 down against your bogey team, suddenly all the self-doubt comes in, all the insecurity comes in, all the, you know, it was good while it lasted thoughts come in. And for the players on the pitch, you know, they're haunted by the memories of the last game where this happened and the game before that and the game before that. So I really feel like Liverpool coming out on top was them just shedding, metaphorically, their, their ghosts. Their, the, any, any sort of issues that they had facing Crystal Palace, that's all gone now. And now we can move forward with, you know, they got the points to go seven ahead of Man City. Man City then won against Huddersfield to the surprise of absolutely nobody. Um, but just for that moment, winning 4-3 or, or going 4-2, which is really when the game was won, that was huge. That's a bigger mental boost to Liverpool than any other game this season. I think if you look at Crystal Palace's lineup, they really came into this game saying, we're just going to absorb as much pressure as we can. Um, and you can see that by, by the possession stat. You can see that by just the, the players that they put out there. To have Milivojevic, Fayate, and MacArthur in the middle of the park uh, when you have players like uh, you know Max Meyer and Jeffrey Schlupp available, it, it, it just goes to show the type of game that they were going to play. To only play one up top and to have that player be Jordan Ayew, it, it, it shows exactly what they were out for. They were out for a point. At least a point would have been fine for them. Um, the fact that they actually scored three goals was surprising to me. Well, here's the thing is that they had 
I think it was a very astute tactical decision by Roy Hodgson to have three tough tackling midfielders. It wasn't very creative. But then you look at the you look at the wings, Townsend Zaha and then Ayu, these are fast players. They were set up to counter. For the first twenty minutes, where they didn't really do much of anything really, they did absorb the pressure. They shut down our passing lanes. We kept trying to make movements, we didn't know where to go. We were getting frustrated. Now to Liverpool's credit, we we did you know, circle the ball around, didn't get, didn't let it get too much to our heads. We realized that it was only 20 minutes in, but there was always that threat because the more you allow Liverpool to play football, the more you allow them to pass, the higher up the pitch they creep, which I think is primarily just a bodies in the box kind of thing, just to add more and more pressure to make you crumble. But credit to Crystal Palace and Roy Hodgson, they didn't do that. They held their ground, they stayed organised, and they were really looking for that first sign of an outball that they could get to, get to Zaha or Townsend just to get up the pitch and cause some real trouble the other way. And I think Townsend did what Townsend does. He scores against top four clubs, top six clubs. Uh, he's shown that he, he has the ability to do that. Obviously, he played for Spurs before. He has the pedigree to do that, and he continues to do that even on a team that doesn't really challenge um but Townsend uh if you're looking for someone to come off the bench and give you a little bit of spark even for a top six club top eight club uh I think he'd be a decent buy he really reminds me of Shakiri in a lot of ways he's a he's a match winner plain and simple like Shakiri doesn't do it all the time Townsend doesn't do it all the time but you know you look at that goal against City you look at this goal here which is really just about right place right time Shakiri's all of those things too. But honestly, Townsend, Zaha, these players are too good to be playing for Crystal Palace. And I mean, that's the huge thing about Townsend as well, is just to touch on that, is that uh, when he does finish, like you said, it's not all the time, uh, but it's it's always seems to be huge. When, when he scores, it's it's not just that, you know, he scored a goal. It's like it was either... He delivers. Uh, he delivers. It's a wicked shot. It's outside the box. It's curving in. It hits the top corner. It's against the run of play. Against the run... Any 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 way you look at it, and and it's against a big name team. Like he's not you know going out there and pumping them in against you know Fulham or Burnley. Like it's against City, it's against Liverpool. It's he he shows up when when he needs to. Uh, I think for Crystal Palace to move forward and continue, uh, or to become a, a better team, you know he needs to do that more regularly, more consistently. And I think that you would see Crystal Palace like you did a few years ago. You know in the FA Cup final where they're where they're challenging teams like United. Uh, and, you know, being able to actually push towards the top end of that table. I don't think they're far off from being a team that can really start to, um, to, to, to move the top part of that table. All right, let's move over now to the Spurs-Fulham uh, game. The most surprising hero of them all, Harry Winks, with the finish, 93rd minute. I felt gutted for Fulham. I mean, I know they weren't supposed to win the game. I know they weren't supposed to beat Spurs. But I felt gutted for them. I, I thought that they, they outplayed Spurs for, for most of the game. I thought that they, they took their chances well when, when they had them. And, uh, you know, to, to lose it in that way, the 93rd minute to, to who else? Like, I mean, Harry Wings, you just, you got to feel for them. Uh, I have to point something out first off, first and foremost. Harry Wings is probably one of the most industrious midfielders in the Premier League and gets no credit for it. I, Jordan I, Henson. I don't think he stops running the entire game. It's it's unbelievable mm. sometimes. Uh, just on the winning goal alone, he's back in the Spurs half, uh, wins a header, starts the uh, counterattack play, and legs it probably 60 yards to get 
into the other six yard box, into the Fulham six yard box to head the winning goal in in the 93rd minute. It's absolutely amazing the amount of heart that he showed, the amount of fight that he showed. Um, realistically, he, he's not big in stature. He's not one of those players that's going to wow you with anything fancy, no real fancy footwork or anything. But he's the kind of player that when you put it up, put him out there, you know what you're going to get. Um, and I think Pochettino has a little bit of a diamond in the rough there. He just has to kind of polish him the way that he wants. And I, and I do agree with you. And like you said, he, he is an industrious player and you get a lot out of him. But what, And I, I just want you to know I'm not, you know, rubbing salt on, on Harry Winks there. He's, he's a great player. What I am saying, though, is he's not the guy that you expect to be getting his head to a ball on the 93rd minute on the goal line. Oh, of course not. No, it myself as a Spurs supporter, I was the most surprised to see that he was the one to score the goal. Um, I thought it would have been anybody but him. Um, you know, I, at that point, I felt that Davinson Sanchez or Kieran Trippier had a better chance of, uh, you know, getting the winner than Harry Winks, but he did. Uh, and I don't care where it comes from, three points is three points. Well, let, let, let's be honest, it's not like Llorente was going <laughs> to get that winner, was it? on the other end. <laughs> Yeah, Lorente is great at scoring at our own net. Uh, not so much when it comes to scoring on the opponent's net. Uh, unless it's the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup when he can play, you know, championship or first division. And Chengiz, I mean, just to touch on the point regarding Harry Winks, it's one of those things where you got Sun out, you got Kane out, Delhi goes down with an injury. You need goals to come now from other areas and so i think having having harry wings come out of nowhere and put that in that's what you need as spurs right now is you need that i just want to point out that this is the first game spurs have won where sun or harry kane have not been on the field since 2014 which is a ridiculous fact i think honestly the 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 fact of the matter is is that that game should have been put to bed well before harry wings's goal like, you're not going to get 10, 5 goals a season from Harry Winks. He's a, he's a Mr. Reliable. He's a, he reminds me a lot of James Milner in the sense that he is somebody who will go out there, do a job no matter where you put him. Um, you know, for injury sakes, for, for the squad's sake, he has to keep starting in midfield, obviously. But, you know, Urente couldn't hit the broadside of a barn door that whole game. He was abysmal. You know, he had quite a few clear-cut chances to really put the game to bed. Now, I don't know if it's a confidence issue or if it's a match fitness issue. He did not look good. He did not look like the level of striker that Spurs need right now. And with the with this injury now to Harry to to Dele Alli, sorry, you know, Daniel Levy has to invest in somebody, even if it's a loan, even if it's a stopgap procedure. There has to be investment now. Otherwise, Spurs, let alone, like, I don't think the title challenge is going to happen for Spurs anymore, but their top four hopes will be in serious jeopardy come the end of the season. I was telling Justin, actually, before we started recording, Callum Wilson, if I'm Daniel Levy, I'm walking into Bournemouth, I'm putting 50 mil on the table and saying, I need Callum Wilson right now. 50 mil for Callum Wilson, though. He's 25 years old. He's a New England international. He's been scoring regularly in the Premier League. He knows how to score in the Premier League. And he's very much in the same type of build as maybe a bit bigger mm. as Jermaine Defoe. Sure. Uh, 
which worked out well for Spurs. No, Callum Wilson is definitely Premier League proven. There's no doubt about that. But 15 million, I don't see Daniel Levy shelling out that much. No, I think it's it's a big amount. But if you can even think about it as when Kane does come back, yeah. now you've got this two-headed monster of Wilson and Kane, uh, England national teammates. But they're fairly the same kind of profile of striker. I mean, Kane is much more technically gifted. And there's no way that you can put two traditional number nines on the same pitch together. Well, especially with, I think, the other players that they have around them, it's hard to. But with an injury to Deli Alley, which we don't know how long that's going to be. We don't know the severity yet. Uh, the news hasn't come out on that. Uh, hamstrings are always a little bit finicky. You're never sure when they're going to come back. And if they do come back, you're never sure if they're going to have another spell out. Well, exactly that point. Wouldn't you want to sign somebody who's a little bit more multifaceted? Somebody who can play in a few different positions? I think if we learned anything from the game on Sunday, we need a striker. Lorente yeah. is not it. Uh, George Kevin and Kudo came in. He did a, a decent job out wide, but he's a wide player. Right. Um, with Deli Ali, the guy that we were going to play as our solo striker, if, if it wasn't Lorente, he's out now. Who do you play? You can't put Christian Eriksen up front. You can't put Eric Lamella up front. You can't, you, you can't put there. Christian Eriksen on the wing either because now there's nobody in midfield. I think that's that's the biggest issue as well. Is Now we, now we have to rely on Winks and Skip in order to... Well, Eric Dyer came back today, which was great. I made a little error last week. Justin's brother actually pointed it out. Eric Dyer, not out for the season. Actually, Chris Chris called you on that one, so you better apologize to Chris. All right. Because he's going to well, listen to this episode. Chris, I'm sorry. Uh, you were right. I was wrong. Um, so, yeah, Eric Dyer back. Uh, but, again, holding midfielder. Harry Winks, same kind of thing, holding midfielder. Uh, it's going to be hard. There's a small joke I read on Twitter. Is that uh, Liverpool went to Dubai this week for warm weather training, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain went with them which is amazing news because he's been out for a year. And there were, there were somebody on Twitter said, reports are very good for Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, he's now able to run and pass the ball with free movement. No word on when Eric Dyer can do the same. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I Listen, think... he's, he's, not, he's not a number six, you know. I mean, he's a, he's a tackler. He's a number six, but he's not a regista. He's not going to start attacks, is he? No, he's not. He, he definitely he stops attack. Um, he's also a, a decent backup center back. Um, so he, he is multifaceted. Um, Just not in the areas you need right now. Not right now. No, I mean, we could stick him up front. Who knows? Maybe he'd <laughs> score a goal. Eric his, Dyer, false nine. Yeah, his first game at first Spurs against West Ham, he scored. So another stat that I want to point out as well with this game that I found really fascinating was that uh, so Spurs dominated possession. It was 74% to 26, and they had... A ton more passes. It was 679 passes to 246. But yet shots and shots on target were pretty much equal. Uh, Fulham managed 12 shots with four on target, where Spurs managed 14 with five on target. That fifth one being the winner by Winks. Something's missing there. There's Spurs are dominating possession. They're holding onto the ball, but they're not able to. With with those kind of stats, they should be they should be pumping Fulham. Spurs were depleted. They're half a team right now, and Fulham, to their credit, really. Played quite well, I thought, for the day. It, it Fulham were essentially playing with 10 men because Llorente just wasn't getting on the end of passes. He wasn't taking the chance as well. He was scuffing a lot of stuff. I think that was the biggest issue, was when you have a striker up there who's not holding up play, not creating play, not playing off of any of the midfielders. 
it's very hard to create those chances. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually not surprised to see that they only had five shots on goal. All right, so let's jump now to the marquee match of the weekend. Uh, we had Arsenal winning 2-0 against Chelsea. Uh, we had goals from Lacazette and Koscielny. I mean, guys, Chelsea looked absolutely dreadful, uninspired. They had no finish. They had most of the ball throughout the game. I mean, 65% possession to Arsenal's 35. So almost double the amount of passes, but they only managed one shot on target and it didn't come until the 82nd minute of the game. At that point, you have to ask yourself some serious questions. Uh, they have no finish in the final third at that point, and, and now they need, to, they need to change something or they're going to be in they're gonna be a big trouble. I think it's the way that Sarri's playing. Uh, he's relying on Eden Hazard to be that striker he wants him to be you know that that hold up play but also that connecting play to the midfield but he needs somebody up there he needs Olivier Giroud who's a proven front man in the in the Premier League Uh, you need a little bit of an out ball you need someone who's going to hold up play disrupt the defense uh and Eden Hazard just doesn't do that it's a weird midfield that he put out like I'm looking at the lineups right now Jorginho Kovacic and Kante. This isn't the most solid midfield in the world, if I'm going to be honest. And then you've got a very hackneyed front three with Willian, Pedro, and Hazard. Willian's been off form all season long. He, I think the only reason he's in the starting eleven is because he does work hard and he only needs like half a yard of space to do something magical. Hazard doesn't like playing as a nine. You've got Giroud on the bench, and now, okay, fair, like, Morant has been crap, and Giroud isn't starting 11 material for the Premier League, I get it, but you've got to, you, you, there needs to be, be a bit more cohesion with that starting 11, and you compare that to Arsenal, where you've got Xhaka at the base, which, you know, is always an interesting social experiment, you have Torreira, you have um, Guendouzi, and you have Ramsey, that's a diamond midfield, you have four midfielders there, versus basically Jorginho. Like that four three three that Sari's put out is revolving around Jorginho. It's revolving and he, around, and he looked awful this week because he couldn't get a pass out. He was always double marked or triple marked. He couldn't rotate the ball and circulate it fast enough because you have four or three. Sorry, with Jack at the base, three very very hard working midfielders, three midfielders that would make your life absolute hell, and they did. Now, if Jorginho doesn't get the ball, this whole formation doesn't work. And that's exactly what Arsenal did. They made, made sure Jorginho didn't get the ball. Now, now, Peter, I mean, Arsenal's form has not been great the last couple of games. When I look at this, I, I think to myself that Sarri was underestimating Arsenal and what they were going to bring. I think that he was he was loading up that front three there, and he thought he was going to go in and have you know an, an attacking party up there, but but it, it didn't work out that way. So would you agree, Peter, that, that Sarri was underestimating the Arsenal and what they were going to bring to this match? I mean, they were at home, Arsenal, so I just thought it was kind of an interesting way that Sarri kind of approached it. And I'm going to talk about Sarri in a second. I mean, home field for Arsenal is pretty much like playing in a library, so <laughs> we, won't, uh, we won't talk too much into that. But my thing with Arsenal is they have Aubameyang up top and Lacazette up top. Not to mention a player like Aaron Ramsey, who for some reason Arsenal doesn't want, but Juventus is more than happy to take them. Uh, I know we're going to touch on that later, but... Aubameyang and Lacazette, you have pacey strikers who can win headers, who are running in the channels. They're doing everything that strikers are supposed to do. And they're really do. technical. They're very technical. They're creative. Arsenal brought everything to the table that Chelsea lacked. 
They brought structure in the back, structure in the midfield, attacking prowess up front. They deserved to win this game. Sure, they didn't have the possession, but at the end of the day, they scored two goals and Chelsea scored zero. Weird goal by Koscielny. <laughs> Off the shoulder. to say it again. Like, the ball is round. The ball, the ball was round. The ball, <laughs> the was, ball round. was round. It could, like Papasatopoulos to Koscielny off his shoulder, looped into the net. That was a weird goal, but Lacazette's was was brilliant. That was a brilliant that was strike. Absolutely, I mean, how incredible. he placed that. You know, he has a knack for doing that, though. He's near, not, that's not the first time we've near seen post that. to to place it like that. Was just that that is skill right there. That is yeah. that's pure talent. Uh, and I mean, Mauricio Sarri. I have I got a bone to pick with him right now because. You know, he was asking serious questions of his players uh, in the post-match presser. Uh, you know, he said that his team is extremely difficult to motivate, that they had no energy. And I don't buy that. I mean, that's your job. As a manager, that is your job. Yes, obviously the players have to bear some responsibility. I 100% agree. But for the manager to kind of wash his hands of it and just say, hey, these players are hard to motivate. I can't do it. Then leave. And, and um, Steve Nichol from ES, uh, ESPN FC said it best. He said, if you can't motivate your players, then resign. Because that is your job. That's what you're paid to do. And and I'm just going to touch on United quickly because that's that was the issue we have with Mourinho. United had this issue with Mourinho where he was saying, oh, well, I'm trying my best, but they're not, you know, I, I can't motivate them. Well, then that's a you problem because the second that Solskjaer came in, well, all of a sudden now these players are flying high. So now you have to look and say, was it the players? Maybe a little bit of both. But as a manager, if you can't find a way to motivate your players, if you can't change up your training strategy or, or find a way to inject some sort of uh, energy into your training or, or into your team, then you need to leave. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I, I agree with you. It does come down to the manager at the end of the day. But think about it. You know, this is the same Maurizio Sarri that made Napoli into that swashbuckling side from a couple of years ago. And think about Chelsea. They have a new manager every three minutes, it seems. You know, the, and every time there's a managerial change, just before there's a managerial change, the players are in the press running their mouths, saying bad things about the manager, bad things about the, the team, bad things about the way they play, bad things about the orange juice that's served in the canteen, for all we know. You know, the, the player power at Chelsea is unlike anything I've seen at any other club. Now, with Mourinho, Mourinho's a bad egg. You know, he's not playing his best players. He's not uh, playing positive football. Maurizio Sarri's name is based on attacking football. So you come to Chelsea, you look at the players that he has at his disposable, disposal, Sorry, you'd think he'd be able to work wonders. But Hazard isn't a 10. You know, Willian is hit hot and cold. Like, I think he got his lineup wrong. And I think he has to shoulder a lot of the blame. But that said, I do see where Sarri is coming from. And I think he has a point. And I, I, I agree with you. And I'm not, don't let me wrong, I'm not saying that, you know, that they should get rid of Sarri. He needs to be sacked. That's not what I'm saying. What I, what I was just saying was that for him to come out and kind of just shoulder all the blame to the players, I didn't like that. You know, to call your... I understand I thought, I, sometimes you got to light a fire under their ass. I get that. I think that's what that was, though. I, I don't think he was just blaming the players. I just think that he, he wanted to make sure that everybody felt the heat. And, and that's fair. And I, I think that this is where this game specifically kind of highlighted the whole hudson Adoy situation that we talked about in length last uh, episode. If you guys want to hear it, go listen to episode one. Um, but basically, look, you need young talent that can finish. And that's what you get with hudson Adoy. But but Sarri isn't playing him, and now he wants out. And he's done with sitting on the bench. And now Chelsea could be in big trouble because they're, you know, that's what they need. And and I, I, I heard some of the fans from Chelsea after the game just, you know, pleading for, for somebody like Hudson Odoi to get out there and just inject some some youthfulness just to kind of get out there and, and revitalize the pitch. 
I think half the reason that he can't motivate the players is because they look at the team sheet and say, who are you going to play instead of me? Are you going to put Ampadu in there? Are you going to put Palmieri in there? No, Sari is, he can't do anything else. This is who he can play. I mean, he can change it a little bit. He can change the way that players are structured or the way that the team is structured. But other than that, he doesn't have the personnel. And now that he's going to lose Hudson and Doy, because we know it's going to happen uh, at the end of January, he's going to Bayern, or at least you know the summer he's going to go to Bayern. Uh, they might as well sell him and make some money. Other than that, he doesn't have anybody. So of course you can't motivate them because there's no threat of losing their spot. I mean, you could just drop them. <laughs> you could, and then you you could just just to make a point. Like that's a great way for a manager to stamp the authorities. Like, okay, you're Eden Hazard, you're playing like crap. Hypothetically, I'm going to drop you, and I'm going to play Giroud. Speaking of which, that's what exactly what they should have done. They should have dropped Willian, put Eden Hazard on the wide, and started Giroud. I think that would have made a world difference. But anyways, sorry, with. With Hudson Adoy, you know, there's a report this week that he turned down an eighty-five thousand pound a week contract for an eighteen-year-old who started the season as a seventeen-year-old. That's crazy money, and he hasn't done anything. So this is an eighteen-year-old that wants to play. I mean, at that age, you look at. I mean, we can look at Mesedozil over on Arsenal, sitting around, you know, sitting around watching the games for three hundred fifty thousand pounds a week. Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. But um, you know this is this this kid is young. He's hungry. He wants to play. And so you know what? If if they're not playing him in Chelsea, and and he he knows that the, the team themselves and sorry as a manager doesn't doesn't have sort of that history of playing young players, I, I kind of don't blame him. You know, and and it's nice because it shows that he's not just there for the for the big paycheck, but that he wants to make a difference on the pitch and that he wants to play. And so I I, I support him in that move personally. I, I was um, speaking to a couple of Chelsea fans this week, and. Somebody made a really good point that I want to ask you guys about is the only reason we're talking about Hudson Doy is because Byron came in for him. In, other, in any other case, this is a young player on the bench for one of the world's biggest clubs. He started at, at the season as a 17-year-old. He just turned 18. What's the rush? I agree with you, but I also think it has to do with two things. I think one that, yeah, obviously Byron comes from. You're going to talk about him. A big team like Bayern is is making four bids for a player. Obviously, he's going to be in the spotlight. You're going to be looking at this guy going, what what do they see? What what do they want? Obviously, right? That's fine. But it's also the fact that, you know, Chelsea now are, we're starting to see the fact that they're lacking finish in the final third. And so I think people are starting to to look at Hudson-Odoi and, and see what he can bring and, and see what Bayern sees in him and and saying, hey, that, that's what Chelsea needs. Yeah, but they're, they're already getting Higuain. Uh, we assume that's a done deal. Well, that's up in the air now. So there's a r- report uh, today from Sky News that that's actually up in the air. Um, Chelsea's not sure if they're going to be able to bring Higuain in this January. Ooh, that would be that would be bad. But then again, with this is Sky News we're talking about. They give a salary to Paul Merson. <laughs> well, they, they just play football. They just play football. They go out there and they play. They play chess. I, I, I don't think they need. I, I don't think they need a striker. No, no, no. You just have Hazard. You put him in number nine, and he'd be fine. That was the world's right. worst Paul Merson impression, right. and I apologize. <laughs> it's better than mine. At least you have the accent already. I started doing the accent, and, and bad things happen to good people. No, okay. So if Iguain is up in the air, then okay. So you're looking at. I'm looking at that front three: William Hazard, Pedro. They're all goal scorers. 
Like William and Hazard, definitely Pedro, a little bit more of a traditional winger. But you also have Giroud on the bench, who can who's a who's a one in three striker. If you're not finishing, you're not selecting the striker that can do one in three, which is really any kind of stability is good for Chelsea at this point. And your midfield is wrong because you need to create chances to finish them. They didn't create many chances during Arsenal. Like first shot on target, 82nd minute you said? 82nd minute. That's a midfield thing. That's not a forwards thing. Forwards can't do anything if they don't have the ball. Well, they're not getting service, right? When yeah. I totally agree with you there. Uh, but it's just the fact that, you know, you dominate possession, you dominate passage, you you, you hold the ball. You know, you sorry, can dominate possession so, with two center backs. As they, as they call it. But yeah, but you can dominate possession with two center backs. Uh, I, get back no, I totally agree. That, that's not yeah. what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you have that much of the ball, it needs to be spent in the final third of yeah. the pitch yeah. with shots on target. That's how you win games. Mm-hmm. Or at least look threatening. Like, you, you can have all the possession you want, but if you aren't having the shots, shots are completely different than shots on target, right? 13 shots, same as Arsenal, but only one on target. At least they were shooting towards the net. Let's put it that way. Baby steps here with Maurizio Sarri, okay? <laughs> he took a Napoli team that w- was hungry, okay? They were always in the shadow of uh, AC, Inter, Juventus, Roma, and they wanted to make themselves something. Chelsea was that team. They were the Juventus in this situation. And now he needs to find a way to completely change the way that he's thinking about football. All right, so let's start talking right now about United at Brighton. Uh, a 2-1 finish uh, for United. Seventh win for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in all competitions. Like I said, this team is on fire. Uh, there's no doubt about it now. Paul Pogba, Marcus Rashford, they look like completely different players than they did at the beginning of the season. Um, they just cannot stop putting the ball in the back of the net. Now, mind you, uh, Pogba's goal came off a penalty. My opinion, it's not a penalty. <laughs> uh, more like diving. But, uh, you know, like like I said to Peter before we started the podcast, it's called winning a penalty. So, hey, you feel... <laughs> what, in all seriousness, though, when you feel that contact, you know, you're going to go down. That's that's your job. When you feel that contact, you go down. Any forward's going to go down. Look, the thing is that, unfortunately, you know, the way that the league works, the way that, you know, the refereeing works is that if you stay on your feet, you know, if, if you're somebody, you know, a, a big player, you got like a Josie Eltador build and you stay on your feet when you're being hacked at, you're not getting a call. No. Unfortunately, you need to go down to, to earn that penalty. And hey, you know what? If you can do it and, 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 and win that pen, win that call, good on you. And Pogba did it. His Pogba stutter step, which <laughs> the run up just drives me I'm nuts. So sick of it. I'm so tired of it. Too, I always man. put the kettle on, <laughs> yeah. and it usually finishes by the time he's exactly. done. I just, I, I just, it drives me nuts. I want to pull my hair out. Like, but it what works. Are you do? It works. I it was works. Watch, I was watching a compilation on it. I was showing my 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 dad. He he's starting to follow United, and I was showing him the the Pogba run up, and he's like, "Does he always do that?" And I said, "You got to see this." I showed him like a twenty minute compilation of Pogba penalty run ups, and it just it's it's insane. I I don't understand it, but hey, look, it went in the back of the net. Uh, he scored. Uh, his celebration was nice. Uh, he just had a a child, uh, so he you know to celebrate. His celebration was cradling a baby, which was really nice. Uh, a moment he could share with his family. Um, and then obviously Marcus Rashford with a world class finish. I I there was a meme uh, that I shared with you guys. Uh, he's come, He's falling down. He's being pulled down. The ball is just by his knee, and it says, "How am I supposed to tell my children that Marcus Rashford put this ball?" in the top corner <laughs> with this body shape while falling. It's true. I look at it a million times. This guy is amazing. Um, 
Marcus Rashford, guys. I mean, for how young he is, do he's, you, he's a world-class player. Do you need a minute? I mean, there's a tissue box <laughs> right there. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I mean, Solskjaer after the game did say that Rashford could be on the level of a Rooney or a Ronaldo at United. And I think that I think that's true. I mean, I, I know that you guys are kind of laughing at me right now and grimacing, but, but in all seriousness, you know, no bias here. <laughs> no bias at all. No. <laughs> But he says as he stares at the Rashford jersey hanging on his wall. Uh, but um, no, no. In all seriousness, I, I think he he really is you know world class talent, and, and for his age, uh, he's he's a huge asset for United. And, and now that he's getting playing time, he's he's proving that he belongs on that in that starting eleven every game. You know, like his talent has never been in doubt, even under Mourinho when he broke through. The difference between. Uh, you know, raw talent and established name is a couple of seasons of consistency. We're seeing the best in Rashford now. It's only been seven games. And if I were a manager and I've just done seven games on the trot winning, I'd be full of praise with my players too. And I think it'd be the more astute thing to say as a manager to keep the feel-good factor going, to keep the morale high, to keep the, you know, that invincibility aura about Manchester United going. You know, make sure your young player feels like he is on top of the world because Rashford, you know, a lot of people kind of classified him as a confidence player. You know, Martial certainly is. Um, But, you know, when you're that, when you're young, you are inconsistent. You don't have the mentality to pull it, to, to be consistent day in and day out. You just don't have the experience. So why not make sure that confidence is sky high and make sure he's performing at this level for an extended period of time so that whatever he's doing now becomes his new normal. This is a good way to build talent. I think that's really important uh, for Solskjaer right now. Isn't so much isn't so much getting the results as it is building up the confidence of the players. If he can build up the confidence of the players, the results will come. And they're already coming. So at, at this point, I don't really see an end in sight. The way that they're playing, the way that everyone is so cohesive, um, you have Pogba playing with a smile on his face. You never saw that under Mourinho. It was always, uh, you know, a question as to what is Mourinho saying. What is what is he going to criticize next? Mm. But Solskjaer is always out there encouraging his players, trying to get the best out of them. Yeah. Um, there was a report that he had to use the hair dryer. Um, I think it was last week or the week before. The week before, I think. Which yeah. was a it's a Fergie thing. Yeah. Um, but he used it in the right way. You go, you scream at the players for a minute, two minutes. You tell them exactly how you feel. And then you get right back to the game, yeah. right back to business. These, these are grown men we're talking about, okay? They're not babies. They're not children. If you guys can't come out and earn your keep every single week, Manchester United doesn't want you. And I think that's what Edward Woodward and Solskjaer and the board have to get back to is the Manchester United way. And I think Solskjaer is the best person to bring that back in. If he, the, the fact that he brought back Mike Phelan, Mike Phelan was the number one assistant under Alex Ferguson. He was part of the Ferguson way. He's so, part of the DNA. So for him to bring him back, it's, it's, it's an unreal move for them. I'm, I want to make a real quick point here. Aside from uh, Ashley Young and Diego Dallo, this is one of the most balanced starting 11s I've seen this entire season. Uh, okay, maybe I put Rashford on the wing in place of Lingard and I put Lukaku up in front. This is a hell of a squad that Mourinho has left for Solskjaer. Now, finally, they're playing a system and a formation that makes sense for the personnel 
they're out of the club. And attacking football should have always been the Manchester United way. I can't believe they hired Mourinho because you know what you're getting with Mourinho. And that's not Mourinho's way. And, and that's Mourinho's and that way. that was the biggest issue because Mourinho's a great manager. And that's and that's one of the things that kind of always bothered me was that as a manager, I, I had no issue with him. The issue is that his style of play did not fit He's what not United, United had. Exactly. And now he was not a United manager. Like you exactly. need a manager that's going to go out there and, and attack. Like that's what United does best. And when they do that, they're unstoppable. And they play a very... Uh, emotionally stimulating brand of football under Alex Ferguson and you need a manager that is not afraid to tap into those emotions and to heap unrealistic praise <laughs> on their on their players can he be a Rooney or a Ronaldo for United absolutely should he be saying this kind of stuff no <laughs> under no circumstances but I'm glad like sorry Liverpool fan I hate all of this by the way I hate that they're so good at football but he's doing everything right and he's doing He's doing. He's he's pushing all the right buttons. He's saying all the right things, and he's getting the results. And he he's done a fantastic job. I really have to say that Victor Lindelof coming in, we all thought he was a little bit of a a bad buy, um, but Solskjaer has been able to turn him around into something of a, a capable Premier League defender. Um, I still think that Phil Jones is a little bit of a. Uh, no, that's why he started him next to Phil Jones, is so that he'd look better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess they put anyone beside Van Dyke. <laughs> you could put Phil Jones beside Van Dyke, and he'd be world it's class, true. right? Yeah. Um, but I think you look at the bench that Solskjaer had at his disposal: Bai, Sanchez, Mata, Lukaku, Pereira, Sergio Romero, and Mateo Darmian. If you compare that to Chelsea's bench, as well as the starting 11 that Chelsea had on the field, they're not even comparable. No. The fact not. that Solskjaer has been able to work Lingard, Rashford, Martial, Pogba, all into the same starting 11. And you have Sanchez and Lukaku on the bench. Still on the bench. That's nuts. It's unreal depth right now. I, I know that they haven't really been hit by an injury bug, which is great for them, other than Luke Shaw. Um, but things are looking up. I, I think it, it's a good time to be a United fan, Justin. It is. <laughs> and and it, haven't been able to say that for a very long time. So I, I've got a huge smile on my face right now. Top um, four, though? I think top four. I really do. I mean, look. I'm going to say top three. Really? I think I said that last week as well. You don't have any I could see top suppose? three. No, I think we're going to drop. I'll I could see, see top, top three. three. Uh, I'm going top four. Look, there's been a lot of talk about how United's been, you know, given a bit of a cakewalk. But you know what? Look, it's, it's a cliche in, in, in football, but you play what's put in front of you. And if, you know, um, thankfully, um, United managed to turn it around with Solskjaer at the right time in the schedule. And this is what they were given and, and they're, they're making the most of it. And you know what? I can't say they'd be doing the same if Mourinho was still in charge. So good on them. Um, but you know what, guys, let's quickly move on to the other seven goal thriller this weekend. Uh, Leicester and Wolves. What an amazing game. My goodness, my heart did not stop racing. I, I have no stake in those games, but I just was, it was an exciting game of football to watch. Um, you know, 7.30 a.m. starts here in uh, in Canada. It's, it's tough. To, it's tough to wake up. And But I, I was, it, it woke me up. It was my coffee. It was. I, w I was all out of espresso that day. Yeah. Didn't need it. <laughs> it was amazing. And um, I mean, look, Lester is in big trouble. We talked about this last week, but they're going into crisis mode now. Um, another loss for Claude Puel. He just, they couldn't seem to hold it together. Every time they seemed to come back, Wolves had an answer for them. Um, Peter, they, would you say that, that it's it's about time one more loss and and Puel's gone. What what are your thoughts? I don't even think it's one more loss. Um, 
I think if it's one more loss, that's one loss too many. I think it's about time for a little bit of a change. Um, you know, they scored two legitimate goals. Obviously, Connor Cody had the own goal, but it's time for a change. There were, there were talks in the papers today. Uh, Brendan Rodgers of Celtic supposedly is willing to accept the Leicester job. Um, might be good. I mean, he, he's an ex-prem manager, so he has a little bit of experience. I, I don't see anything working for uh, Puel right now. I don't see Brendan Rodgers leaving in the middle of a title race. That's the big thing. I think he could be really good for Leicester. That's an interesting suggestion for sure. Um, and he's definitely somebody who can connect with fans and he can connect with the club and can respect their traditions and respect what they're all about whilst bringing a new vision forward. But going to Leicester for a second, I think it's I think a lot of fans are starting to understand what Leicester's really about and how good they actually are. I mean, if they want to replace Pure, like I said last week, it's mostly to do with the type of football he's bringing in. And it's fairly drab, let's be honest. It's not swashbuckling. It's not exciting. There are no... There's no feel-good factor around the football at Leicester right now. So the question is, if you accept your mid-table position, Leicester are okay. They're not safe from the relegation battle. I mean, anything in the lower half of the table is a bit of a dogfight. But, you know, if the goal is to be mid-table and you're slow, sort of flirting with those positions, then Puel really isn't any in, in any trouble. Should they just accept that and then think about a change in the summer? Or should they pull the trigger and say, no, we deserve to be a top six team when they don't have the personnel for it? Look, I mean, we can talk all day about Leicester and, and their um, their fall from grace, I guess you could say. But I think that it would be unfair of us if we do not mention the fact that, yes, Leicester, you know, they need to make a change. They're looking uh, uninspired right now. But the Wol- Wolves put up a huge game. They I did. mean, uh, Diogo Jota got his first uh, hat trick. Uh, which was amazing, and 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 we talked last week about uh, Tammy Abraham's uh, declining a move to the Wolves to stay or to Wolves to stay with uh, Aston Villa, and I think now we're seeing why we said last week that I said last week that I think he made a good choice, and we're seeing now why he made a good choice because when you got players like Jota, uh, like Neves, uh, like Jimenez playing the way they are, you're not going to get a spot on that team. Uh, I mean, uh, Neves and and. Neves and Jota this game were they were just in sync it was, it was like like they were twins it was insane they were they were just feeding off each other's energy uh, the passes that that Neves were sending him uh, that's the kind of delivery that a team like Chelsea needs from mm-hmm. their midfield and, and they were getting it and you know what good on them for when when Leicester managed to claw back good on the Wolves there's, to just keep finding a way to to fight back there's a real camaraderie with the Wolves squad and you can see that every time they play because they have real spirit it doesn't matter who they play now everybody's scared to play wolves because they've been crushing it for the last four to five weeks now they've become a really good side and i wouldn't be surprised i mean i don't think the math will work out for them but they're playing like a top four team and next year if they make the right acquisition if they come back for tammy abraham who knows if they if they you know use their money wisely they could be top four challenges or top six challenges at the very least and that's going to do it for part one coming up in part two we are going to look ahead to the fa cup fourth round and also talk a couple transfers that might be happening so stay tuned you're listening to the start 11 podcast hey everyone 
If you like what you hear so far, please hit that subscribe button, leave a rating and a review to let us know your thoughts about the show. We'd also love to hear from you, so please feel free to send any comments or questions to the starting 11 podcast at gmail.com. That's the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us at Twitter at XI podcast for all the latest updates regarding the show. Now, let's get back to it. All right, welcome back to part two of the Starting Eleven podcast. Let's quickly jump back to last week's third round FA Cup replay. Uh, Frank Lampard's Derby County bounced back from a 2-0 down to beat Southampton 5-3 on penalties. Uh, the comeback was kick-started with a beautiful direct free kick by Harry Wilson after a wild eight minutes, which saw three goals scored between both clubs. Uh, so Wilson has now scored six goals from direct free kicks across four competitions for club and country, uh, the Carabao Cup, UEFA Nations League, League, championship and now the FA Cup. Um, keeping with Derby boys, uh, Ashley Cole from LA Galaxy has signed with Derby County until the end of the season. Uh, it's pensioners money. Pensioners money. I was <laughs> waiting for exactly that. I was waiting for the punchline. <laughs> yeah. He's just he's buddies with Frankie, so he's like, ah, I'm gonna go pick up a paycheck at Derby County. He doesn't sound like that, obviously. But <laughs> so it's always good to have a veteran presence in the dressing room, right? I, I they agree. They really need it, though. I, they they, I they just don't was... need it, sure, because they have Frank Lampard. And there, he's going to but... retire after the season. Yeah. I think he just wanted, like you said, go get a paycheck, you know, retire with... He was uh, sick of the Galaxy. Retire with... I think he was <laughs> sick, sick of Ibra. He was sick soccer. of Ibra coming in, thinking he was all that. <laughs> in fairness, his best left-back days were from Chelsea. Everywhere Easily. else he went to made no difference. Oh, yeah. Once he went to the MLS, I think that's when you saw that he was he was done. But Harry Wilson, though, mm-hmm. I think he's Liverpool first team ready because he's on loan from Liverpool. After that, just yeah. banging them in. Bangers only. Harry Wilson, yeah. It's, I mean, Who sits on the bench? Who sits on the bench? For, for... Harry Wilson. Well, I don't think Wilson's going to walk in. I'm just saying. No, he... no, but where would you play? Well, he'd play right wing. Where when Salah can't play, then or or you know if Mane can't play, he's having a bad time. If Shakiri and then Wilson should be cool. All right, and then moving on over across to Europe uh, in the Liga, we got Boateng, Kevin Prince Boateng signing with Barcelona, which was just confirmed this evening. Uh, this guy, this got us excited today, guys. We were talking about this. You guys got pretty uh, pretty pretty hyped up about this, Peter. He's a gun for hire. He's a mercenary. Uh... But he's a mercenary who wants to play in good leagues. Not like Marco Arnautovic, who we talked about last week, whose move was uh, Ixnade, or I guess Nix. And, and you know what? And just quickly, yeah. on, quickly, <laughs> quickly on that, uh, good on Arnautovic for not, um, you know, not protesting, you know, not, not saying he's for not going to strike. Being a professional. Of course. Still going to play. Uh, you say, of course, but there are a lot of players that, you know, when they want to make those big money moves, they, they decide to protest or strike. And, so you know, it's really, good it's, on him to not... To not do that. It's really interesting road. that West Ham put this price tag on Arnautovic and then a Chinese club didn't pay it. That's the most surprising. It's, rare. it's, it's rare. A, I, I've never seen that yeah. before. Not Well, I mean, China's only had money for two, three years, but like I've never... Let's put it this way. Kevin Prince Boateng is low-key a great signing for Barcelona. Um, I think he fits Barcelona's flair style of play very well. He also plays with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, which I think is completely different for La Liga. Um, and he, he definitely brings a little bit more attacking flair, a little bit more technique uh, than maybe some of the other options that were out there. And to get him for a uh, six-month loan deal, that's 
That's really good. My concern is not with his talent, because we all know he's had that. He's proven that so many times. He's been playing his trade at Sassuolo, the bottom of Syria, or the lower bottom, lower mid table. And now he's going to be in Barcelona. Is that a lot of pressure for him? I mean, probably not, because he's played everywhere. But it's a bit of a risk from Barca side, isn't it? I mean, it is a bit of a risk, but uh, like you said, playing there on the bottom of Syria, you weren't. He didn't have anybody with him to to make him make him stand out, or or, or you know, unfortunately, one man cannot cannot be a team unless your name is Cristiano Ronaldo, in which case you can be the entire team because that's what we saw with Real Madrid when he left; they just collapsed. But um, I, I think that he'll 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 fit nicely there at. Barcelona. I think he he'll he'll compliment Messi nicely. He is but part of the orchestra and Messi's the conductor. That's beautifully put, Peter. You should write poetry, man. <laughs> or add copy, damn. <laughs> so I'd make a quick correction. Sassuolo was actually twelfth. I in my head I thought that was I thought they were like fifteenth or sixteenth. Still Sorry. bottom half of the table. Well that's mid table. That's mid-table. solidly mid table. They're like five points clear of thirteenth place. I suppose I suppose my concern still stands though. I mean, you know, mid-table Serie A, it's not the most intense league in the world. It's competitive, but it's not, you know, intense. Not every team is at the level of Juventus, for example. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. And um, so then, uh, staying with La Liga, we got uh, Morata, oh, Morata, poor Morata, uh, from Chelsea heading over to Atletico Madrid. Um, he needs it. I think he needs the change. He was just he was not having a good time at Chelsea. He he was not he did not turn out to be what they were wanted what they were expecting so I, I think the change of scenery the change of style of play you know going to to Spain uh, I think is going to be good for him it's good for the team um, and I think that you know just Chelsea sort of being able to to, to send him away for a bit will, will be nice as well yeah for Morata it's just one of those things that didn't work out for Chelsea it's it reminds me a lot of the Torres situation although it didn't drag on nearly as long enough but. Who the hell is Murata's agent? Because how many times have we been in this position where he said, oh, you know, the change of senior will be fine. He'll go to Juventus. He'll be good. He'll get first team opportunities and then do absolutely nothing. Oh, it's okay. He'll go to Chelsea. He'll be fine. Now he's on his fourth big club. I mean, odd grandkids are going to look at Wikipedia in 2070 or whatever and look at Murata's, you know, list of clubs played for and think he was some sort of, like, Ronaldo 9 regen. I mean, I doubt they'll be looking at Alvaro Morata. I mean, yeah, but... (laughs) Let's be honest, guys. They're going to be looking at Marcus Rashford. Okay, come on, come on. The point still stands is like, Morata has had more than enough second chances. Is this... like? I feel like like, he could be great at Atletico. Atletico are known to rehabilitate and make strikers. Simeone is very good with working with any kind of asset that he has. But... I mean, let's be real. Like Alvaro Morata, he hasn't like he was okay in Madrid. He was abysmal at Juventus. He's terrible at Chelsea. What makes it? What makes this gamble worth taking? And the funny thing is, the one team that could actually use him right now, Real Madrid. Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> I think the next logical move for Morata is to go to Besiktas. <laughs> Come to Besiktas. <laughs> And you know they take him. They take him they with a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be they head would. and shoulders over everybody else. The only reason I'd want them to do it is just so they make another come to the sickness. <laughs> 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 
Uh, so uh, we now are talking more. Uh, it seems that Ramsey is going to be joining Juve on a free transfer this summer. It amazes me that a player that is unwanted by Arsenal can go to Juventus uh, and play with Cristiano Ronaldo. Ramsey's not a bad player, but I think, you know, new manager has definitely had an impact on this decision. But Ramsey's been at Arsenal for how many years? And he's still a top, top player. Like, he's had his fair share of injuries, but he's still a difference maker. And he had his, I assume he had his pick of the litter and Juventus was the best option. I don't blame him for wanting a different challenge. Well, I mean, there's that. And when you have the chance to go and play with what is the greatest footballer in the world, um, you don't say no. You know, if, if that team is interested in you and, and that, you know, like you said, you have the pick of the litter, you're going to pick that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't blame them. I think that that's my issue with it is that he wants to go play here. They want him, but Arsenal don't want him. Arsenal don't want Ozil, who is their best player. That, that blows my mind. They're not even going to offer him a contract. There's something very strange and wrong happening behind the scenes at Arsenal. I don't know if it comes from the manager or the director of football or from the board, but something in the hierarchy of Arsenal is going terribly wrong. They're going to lose their best players. They've already lost Ramsey, or they're going to lose Ramsey. Ozil might be next. Uh, since Arsene Wenger has left Arsenal, there there does seem to be a a serious shift in the team. Um, like you said, from whether it's coming from the director of football, whether it's coming from uh, Unai Emery, it's hard to say. Um, but just to kind of touch on that, uh, Mark Overmars uh, has been um, speculated to possibly be the new um, director of football at Arsenal. Uh, he he was the same. He was in the same position. For All right, because Miss Lantis left. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, just yeah. Recently. yeah. And uh, he he was he played he was in the same role for uh, Ajax for seven years, uh, where you know he did a lot of great work, and and you know he's helped Ajax continue to be an amazing club in Europe. Uh, and so I I think it would be a, a great move for Arsenal to bring him in. Um, but just to kind of touch on that, uh, I'm not sure what's happening. Why on earth you would have a player like Mesut Ozil, um, of his quality sitting on the bench or sometimes not even in the the 18 man squad and and collecting a 350,000 pound a week check. I don't I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, it's but, it's it's a new manager thing. It's definitely Emery versus Ozil in that situation because I don't think I don't think Emery particularly plays with the 10. I think it it is confusing because we don't have all the facts here. The Arsenal fans are wondering where is their marquee player? It's kind of like if Liverpool just decide to bench Salah because reasons. Like, why would you do that? And this is the same thing here. You've got, like, we remember Ozil in Madrid, right? The glory days, you know, Benzema, when he could, you know, be a footballer. Uh, You know, Cristiano Ronaldo, Gareth Bale. He had the pick of the litter to choose to, to spray balls into these channels where they would run onto them. Now you've got two fastest players in the league, with Lacazette and Aubameyang, they're crying out for service from someone like Ozil, but he's not on the pitch. I mean, my thing with bringing in Overmars, I think it would be a great move for them. Um, obviously, he's he's done great work with the Ajax Academy, but if we look traditionally at Ajax, their football factory, um, it seems that every year they're they're pumping out two, three, four uh, top class five star talents. You look at Justin Kluivert came out of there, uh, Christian Eriksen, Jan Vertonghen, Davinson Sanchez, Toby Alderweireld, 
Uh, now, we can uh, just go through Frankie de Jong, Frankie de Jong, Matthias Delight. Uh, it it doesn't matter what happens at Ajax, they're always going to bring this talent. Mm. Uh, I know Overmars, he maybe didn't develop all of them, but he had a hand in developing all of them. So I think Arsenal, by bringing in a club legend like Overmars, they have a chance to start to develop some of their young players and maybe go a di- different direction than what they've been doing. Uh, personally, I think it's a good move, but I guess you know only time will tell. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly indifferent to the news. I don't think uh, Overmars is some world-renowned director of football. It's nice to have a familiar face, and I think it'll help the club in trying to maintain stability and keep the fans on their side because Lord knows the board is not popular with the fans, <laughs> um, especially on Arsenal Fan TV. <laughs> Second episode in a row now we mentioned them. Excellent. It's, it's like my guilty pleasure watch is yeah. Arsenal Fan TV after a loss. We need to hit up Robbie, get that sponsorship going. <laughs> Let's do it. We're basically a second conduit for them. Uh, all right, so let's jump over uh, to Liverpool. Chenge is coming to you for this one. Um, so uh, they just signed uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold to a brand new shiny contract. Um, Robertson, Andy Robertson, Robo, is close to, uh, to signing as well. Uh, this has got to be pretty exciting for you, my friend. I am very excited by this. It's fantastic news. But let me read you this list. These are the expiry dates for the contracts that are in the first team squad. Alison Becker, 2024. Andy Robertson, 2024. Virgil van Dijk, 2023. Joe Gomez, 2024. Chamberlain, 2022. Fabinho, 2023. Keita, 2023. Salah, 2023. Mane, Firmino, Shakira, 2023. We're building something here. I don't like when we talked about rebuilding at Liverpool before Rogers, when Kenny was around, and now it's happened. The build is complete. We've got a team that should win the Premier League title, should go very deep in the Champions League, should be, well, not in the cups anymore, but should be challenging for those cups. We've got a, and, and we've got, you know, players like Joshua Kimmich saying that we're the best team in the world. Joshua Kimmich. I mean, you know, he's not... Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich. He's not a legend or anything, but he's afraid of us, or at least he respects us to the point where he can say this stuff. It's it's a big turning point because it just feels like all the strife and the anguish and the nearly misses have meant something. And how often do you get to say that in football? Usually when there's a nearly miss, you move on. The players move on, the manager moves on, and then you start all over again. Now it feels like we have continuity, and I don't know what this feeling feels like as a Liverpool fan. I started supporting them in 2006. You know, it was really good then. We just won the Champions League, challenging for the Premier League title, and then it all went to hell with Rafa Benitez versus Hicks and Gallet. And then Roy Hodgson came in. Less said about that, the better. And then, (laughs) yeah. And then Kenny, Brendan, now Klopp. And there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's a very, very pretty light. You can look at two teams going two absolutely different directions. Liverpool is building for the future, signing players to long-term contracts, and building towards something. Spurs can't get players to sign new contracts. Really, you're penny-pinching, not buying players, not really building anything. Uh, They're really going in different directions, and you can see that definitely by the table. Uh, Liverpool flying high in first, Spurs in third, but with the lack of depth, I could definitely see them dropping. They remind me of 2006 Arsenal, minus, you know, the Invincible season. Yeah. But 
Like the, the if you can keep, I think Kane will stay no matter what. He's a Tottenham through and through. Keeping Ericsson, keeping Alderweireld, keeping Vertonghen, that's your spine. You got to keep them and Son as well. Like that's the big challenge for Spurs is even though they're penny pinching right now and everybody gets it, you know, these are world class players now at Tottenham and they've developed into some really special memorable players. I think that if if Daniel Levy and and uh, Maurizio Pochettino uh, play their cards right, I, I see Spurs as a, a. I mean, right now they are a title contending team per se. Um, but I see them actually, you know, claiming a title in the, the next five years if they, they keep going in the direction that they're going. So uh, for Spurs fans, I think that, you know, there are a lot of positives to look forward to. And I know right now in this exact moment, it's it's kind of a, a, a gloomy looking possible next couple of weeks. But um, look, I mean, if they can grind up results like they did against Fulham, um, you know, then that those are good signs. And yeah. that's what they need to do. And they need to just grind out some results till they get Kane back, till they get Sun back. Uh alley back and yeah. then they're going to be right back up there flying and next season you know you try to maybe during the summer window you try to bring in uh, a little bit more depth just so that when Kane does go down you don't have to panic as much I was going to say yeah and you just you, you keep pushing forward and I think that you're going to see Spurs like I said claim a title very soon that that's the feeling that I have Spurs are never you know one or two signing uh, one or two uh, players away from an injury crisis are they and that you know, ends with Daniel Levy, starts and ends with Daniel Levy. All right, so let's just transition over now to the FA Cup fourth round tie, which is coming uh, this weekend. Uh, so we're looking at Watford-Newcastle, should be a good game. Uh, Arsenal-United, which I think is the marquee match of this round. Uh, Brighton and West Brom would be good. Uh, we got Man City and Burnley, which I think is, I was saying to Peter before the mics were hot, that I think this is going to be the sleeping giant game because if Burnley come out to play, look, City are expected to dominate this game, but... If Burnley come out to play, um, I I could see them upsetting uh, City in in this match, uh, especially since City are you know pushing for for the title. They're they're right on Liverpool's heels. Uh, I could see them resting a lot of their players, and and I think that um, if Burnley come out to play and and um, can put the ball in the back of the net, that they're they're gonna they could take that game. Uh, and lastly, uh, I mean Palace Tottenham should be a good game. Uh, another London derby. Palace is gonna be tough to beat. I mean, I'm biased because of what what we just experienced, but they're a good side, and they're they're going to be set up to frustrate, and they should have all their players, and they're going to be seeing this as a as a trophy that they can realistically win. Uh, Spurs, I assume, will, will will have a really hard decision to make, or a couple of decisions to make, because they don't have the 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 depth to rotate. Do they field a first team squad? Do they field a youth squad? If they field a youth squad, they're going to get beaten. So plain and simple. But if they field a, a, a top flight squad, they're gonna their title chances or their top four chances are gonna suffer. I think at this point, the less games we have to play, the better. Uh, I feel like they're gonna play a youth squad against Crystal Palace. Uh, this is just the fourth round of the FA Cup. We're in the semis of the Carabao Cup and the last sixteen of the Champions League, as well as third place in the Premier League. I think you can let go of the FA Cup for this year. Um, so you you put out a youth squad. If they win, they win. If they don't. Uh, you know, it's just less games we have to play. Yeah, and I, and I agree with that there. And um, I mean, I just want to say that I, I love the FA Cup. I know that, you know, certain people have their, their feelings about it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people see it as an inconvenience. But I think that it's 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 a great cup. Um, you know, you see a lot of 
of magical things happen. I just want to give a shout out to Newport County. Really hope that they can pull off a win mm-hmm. here. You know, the the real underdogs, uh, you know, going up against uh, Middlesbrough there. I, I really hope that they can pull off the W. But um, yeah, you know, so I, I like seeing that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's nice to the, the moment they had there in the Oldham game against um against Fulham when you know Oldham or Fulham were were granted that penalty uh, back in the third round. Uh, un- unjustly and and for the goaltender to just step up and stop it it was just it felt like that those kind of moments there just kind of really the make magic you of the see FA the cup. magic of the fa cup yep all right so let's uh before we end the podcast here for today guys let's quickly talk about our takes and misses for the week Chengiz, i'm coming to you first on this one so my take of the week is uh solomon rondon uh during the game newcastle versus oh god brighton cardiff Cardiff, Newcastle versus Cardiff. There was a moment, uh, I think there were 2-0 up, and Rondon is uh, playing sort of as an inside left position. He's uh, crossing the ball in, and it hits the defender straight in the face. I think it was number three for Cardiff. Um, he goes down, clutching his face. He's, he looks like he's knocked out. Falls very generously to Rondon, who then had a clear cross-in for a goal-scoring opportunity. Doesn't take it. Kicks it out of play. I say fair play to him. Very good sportsmanship. That's my take. Um, my miss, though. This one's a big one. Financial fair play. Again, being proved to be an absolute joke. So, um, PSG are trying to sign Allen. Give me a second. Let me find the story. So, PSG want to sign Allen for a reported reported 50 million euros from Napoli. He plays for Napoli in midfield. So due to FFP rules, they can't spend any more money. They spent something like 400 million euros on Mbappe and Neymar. So obviously they're they're in in the doghouse for that. But they found a way to skirt it because what they're going to do is they're going to essentially transfer Allen from Napoli to PSG for free. And instead, what they're going to do is they're going to give Napoli a 50 million euro sponsorship with Qatar Airways over four years. Ain't that, isn't that ingenious? And also just like the scummiest thing in the whole world at the same time. Like, why does FFP even exist at this point if you just have the super rich who can just, you know, it said there are rules and then there are other rules. And that's exactly what's going on here. And it just makes the whole exercise a waste of time for everybody. Peter, uh, my take for this week um, is going to be Crystal Palace. So what Crystal Palace did, uh, they actually opened their lounge area to the homeless. Uh, so there was a lot of um, very low temperatures in London this this week. Um, so Crystal Palace opened up their lounge, set up a bunch of little cots, beds, um, and had a sort of buffet as well for uh, any of the homeless who wanted to come in. Um, I think it's really touching. Uh, it's really nice to see a club connect to all their fans all their supporters everyone in the area um you know football's bigger than uh bigger than anything you know and and people they mean something and that's what crystal palace showed us we need more of that exactly and that was a great contrast too for what sort of chengage was just going on about and then to see you know acts like that from crystal palace it just it really shows you that there there is a lot of good in the sport of football um, regardless of all the the bad that yeah, we, you don't you, know, need... you do see and they get pushed to the front of the press, you know there's a lot of good that kind of doesn't show up there. So it's great that you're able to point that out for us here. Uh, what about your miss? My miss 
for this week. Unfortunately, it's got to be Fenerbahce. <laughs> so Fenerbahce right Come now. Come to us. <laughs> yeah. So they're a 19-time Turkish League champion. They've got Martin Skirtle, Roberto Saldado, Andre Ayu, Islam Slimani, Matthew Balbuena, and they're sitting bottom of the Turkish League right now. 19th, I thought. Some, something close to the bottom. Yeah. 15th out of 18th, by the way. That's the Turkish League. Yeah. That's rough. So Fenerbahce right now, two points off the bottom of the Turkish League. For a team that flies so high uh, in, the, in their domestic league, their domestic cups, as well as in Europe, they're still in the Europa League, mind you. But for them to be so low in the league, it happens. But you just don't expect it. And when you read all the reports about Fenerbahce, it all has to do with management, you know, spending money the wrong way. Um, it, it's the same song and dance all over again. But until there's actual cultural changes in Fenerbahce, uh, it's going to be really hard for them to come back. But yeah, my miss for this week is just a surprising fall from grace. And that's fair. And, um, you know, you can, and they just goes to show you that you can have all the talent in the world, uh, but if it's not managed properly and, and if, if the culture's not there, then unfortunately it doesn't matter. Uh, Come and, to Bushikta. Come to Bushikta. <laughs> uh, also, Martin Skirtle, talent. Mm. Come on. Uh, Rangers wanted him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but Steve Jared wanted him. Yeah, but like, no. <laughs> no. No, he's, he's just not that good. All right. And then I'm just going to finish the pot off with my take for the week. Uh, so I'm going to go domestic here to the MLS. Uh, Toronto FC. Uh, Victor Vasquez is a medical exam examination away from moving to a club in Qatar, an unnamed club. And uh, for those Toronto fans out there listening, yes, I'm making this as my take because, uh, look, I loved Victor Vasquez. He was an essential part uh, to Toronto FC winning their first MLS Cup uh, here in Toronto. Um, he was also vital to them winning the treble. I mean, they didn't just win the cup. They won everything. Um, so... You know, as a player, I have so much respect for him. He's going to go down as a legend here at the club for the two years that he was here. Uh, for a player to come in for that short amount of time and uh, make such a difference, kudos to him. But look, he was a liability. Uh, he was injured all the time, whether it was his back, whether it was his knee. He Last season, I don't think he was able to play a full 90 minutes. Uh, he played a thousand less minutes uh, last season than he did from the championship season. Uh, and that just goes to show you the, 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 the drop there. And, you know, yeah, he didn't have a, much of an off season. Um, so I, I get that. And, you know, he might come back revitalized this year. Um, but that being said, I think this is the last chance for Toronto to actually make some good money off him. Uh, so he was reported. There's a, apparently a transfer fee involved. Uh, it's going to clear up some TAM money for them. Uh, so it's going to give Toronto a chance to go out, grab somebody to fill that spot. Are you going to find somebody with that Victor Vasquez quality to fill that spot? Probably not. But uh, I think when you have two of the best strikers in the league up at top, when you got uh, Sebastian Jivinko, Josie Altador, uh, you got Jonathan Osorio who's flying there in the mid, um, you know, you can bring somebody in who's maybe a little bit less in quality, but who can still complement that team nicely. So that's my take. Uh, and for my miss, we're going to go over to Barcelona's B team. Uh, defender Musa Wagu uh, while playing a game against uh, Asia. I think it's pronounced Asia. Yeah. Asia. Pardon? Asia. Uh, EJEA. Asia. EJEA. 
Gia. Gia. Okay. Anyways, um, you know, racist. Um, we're going to quickly talk here about some racism. Uh, some racist chants being thrown at him, and you know what? He he lost his cool. He jumped in and attacked one of the fans. Was given a red card, sent off for it. He did apologize after. Um, but this is becoming a growing problem. I mean, it's always been a problem in the game, but it's be- it seems to be growing this year. Uh, we had, you know, the likes of uh, Raheem Sterling, uh, Koulibaly. It's happening uh, mainly in Europe, but, you know, we did see it at, at Chelsea. And um, it's, you know, this is a problem that we need to uh, just a little, um, I think it was last year we had the issues with Romelu Lukaku. And uh, it's just, it's becoming a, a problem in this game and, and it needs to stop. And so, you know what, I'm going to say, even though it's my miss for the week, the racist part, um, I'm gonna say you know good on Wagyu for 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 standing up for himself and and you know taking it to his own hands, you know I I mean should he have attacked the fan? Uh, probably not, but you know what you you're gonna open your mouth you're gonna get punched in the face. And Balotelli's expressed previous sentiments as well with regards to like dealing with it right then and there, um, but you know like racism isn't going away as much as we all want to say, you know w- with these campaigns like kick it out, you know they they're very well intentioned but you know like just as somebody who has experiences racism on a near monthly basis now it used to be weekly it's gone a lot better um it's always going to exist and it just depends on how emboldened these idiots feel at any given time and we're seeing a lot of racists emboldened right now in this point in time of our world history because of uh the unmentionables of uh, <laughs> politics. So, like, this doesn't surprise me at all. Um, black player in Spain, in Spain, Spain's got really deep-seated issues with racism. So, unsurprising, saddening. I actually love the fact that he he took matters into his own hands. Don't condone violence at all. But I get it. Good on him. It happens. It sucks. It shouldn't happen, but it happens. Uh, a lot of times, it's not reported. A lot of times. Uh, Fans just join in because it becomes a gang mentality. You know, oh, this guy's saying it. Nobody's saying no to him, so I'm going to join in too. Uh, it's a way to get under players' skins. Um, fans are going to do it. It's going to happen. Um, obviously, we'll see what happens based on this fact, but it, it, it's something that needs to be stamped out. And you know what? I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, look, go out there, support your team, support the hell out of your team but don't be a prick uh so that's gonna do it for us here on the starting 11 podcast thank you guys so much for listening uh please feel free to follow us on twitter at xi podcast uh if you want to be part of the conversation send us questions or comments to the starting 11 podcast at gmail.com that's the starting xi podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to uh leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast and thank you guys so much for joining us tune in next week to hear all about the fa cup fourth round tie uh peter thank you so much for joining us buddy thank you it's been great Changes, thank you for everything man you're always so insightful my pleasure and uh we will talk to you guys soon